0: Thanks, David. Uh, and welcome again uh, to Kingsway, uh, where we strive to love the King and live his way. Uh, you've joined us in the middle of a five-week series. Uh, this is week two, um, and the series is called Life. And so if you weren't here last week, let me just explain. Uh, this series... Ooh. <laughs> The series is based off a, a newcomer's course um, made by a church in the Central Case called EV. And this will kind of end up being our Get to Know Christianity, Get to Know Jesus course uh, from this year. We'll run it in a, in a small group setting you know, a few times a year. Uh, but just as we begin, I wanted to take us all through it because I feel like uh, the information in it is foundational to us all. Um, and it will be good for you to know what you're inviting possibly your future friends to Right, if you say, come join this course. Now, again, this course is meant to be like a more of a seminar, uh, but we've tweaked it to become a sermon series. And especially uh, this week, we're going to feel the seminar feel about it. Right? I'm going to explain that in a moment, but pretty much there's not much Bible in this talk. Right? So I don't know if I feel comfortable calling this a sermon. Uh, maybe it's more of a seminar, but I'll explain that as we go. You know, last week we looked at some of the massive claims that Jesus made. And if you missed last week, you can catch up on podcasts or on YouTube. Uh, but basically, Jesus came to the earth and he said, I'm God, right, in the flesh. And I came to give life to the full in abundance, right? This is an eternal life that will begin now and it will just keep going right, for all of eternity. And you're going to have joy like you've never felt it. Right, and it's going to give you purpose. And this abundant life has no cost. Right, it's free. And I said this a massive claim that Jesus makes leaves us with really only one of three options. Right, we have one of three conclusions that we can make. And the three are that Jesus is either a lunatic, right, that he's a liar, or that he is Lord. Right, that he's a lunatic, he's saying these things, but he's just out of his mind. Right? He's not really God, he's just saying he is, because he believes he is, right? but he's not. Or if he's not a lunatic, then he's a liar. Right? He's purposefully trying to trick us and saying, I'm God, you know, I can take away your sins, I can give you life, but he's trying to fool us. But if it's not those first two, then the only third option that we are left with is that he is Lord. Right? That's what I said last week. But there's actually a fourth option. And that fourth option is that Jesus is a legend. And I don't mean, you know, the way that we use it, hey, you're a legend. Not that kind of legend, but an urban myth. Right, that the Jesus that we hear about or the Jesus we read about in the Bible is a fictional character, perhaps. Right, just made up. Or even if there really was a Jesus who lived in this world that, you know, over time it's been, you know, kind of changed and the Jesus in the Bible is not really the Jesus that lived on earth, right? It's a myth, it's a legend, not true, right? Merely embellished, right? Is that the case? And that's what I want to tackle today. The purpose of today's talk is trying to answer, can we trust what we find in the Bible, Specifically, the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as they talk about Jesus, can we trust what we read in those Gospels? Is it telling the truth? But if we can answer convincingly that the Gospels are reliable and trustworthy, then we've eliminated that fourth possibility, that Jesus is legend, and we're left again with those three. He's a lunatic liar or Lord. Now, there are many common criticisms people have when they come to the Bible or the Gospel message. And maybe some of these criticisms you've held yourself. Again, that this is just a fictional book. The Bible is made up. Some people maybe gathered in a room, you know, one day and they said, Let's make up a story, like a you know, antique version of Harry Potter, and they just made it up. Right? Or over time it's become unreliable. Right? Over the thousands of years, copies were made of copies are made of copies, and it's been changed over time. Or maybe the writers were untrustworthy, right? There's a whole bunch of you know, excuses or you know, reasons we might not believe in the Bible. Karen Armstrong, she's an atheist, she wrote the book A History of God, and she says this, we know very little about Jesus. The first full-length account of his life was St. Mark's Gospel, which was not written until about the year 70 AD, right? some 40 years after Jesus' death. By that time, historical facts had been overlaid with mythical elements, which expressed the meaning Jesus had acquired for his followers. It is this meaning, right, the mythical meaning, that St. Mark primarily conveys rather than a reliable, straightforward betrayal. So this author is saying basically Jesus that we have in the Bible is myth, his legend, it's not the true Jesus. And maybe that's what you're thinking today. And I want to tackle that. Can we trust the Jesus we find in the Gospels. A little bit of research will show that the evidence is quite convincing that we can trust the Gospel. Now again, at Kingsway, we like to open up the Bible, and I like to teach from the Bible, right? The Bible is so central, but there's not much Bible today because I'm trying to prove the Bible is reliable, and if I went to the Bible to prove the Bible is reliable, that ends up being a circular argument. Does that make sense? Like, I'm like, look, see, the Bible is true. The Bible says it's true. Right? That doesn't help, you know, if you, if you don't believe the Bible is true. Right? So we're going to kind of step out of the Bible, and, you know, we don't normally do this, to talk about, you know, the reliability of the Bible and the Gospels. Right? So I've got three points today, and the first thing I want to talk about is eyewitness evidence. Contrasting what people like Armstrong say... Right, Luke, and again, I'm just going to kind of quote this, and this might not convince you, but Luke, as he begins his gospel, he says that what we're trying to do is tell a reliable account. Right? Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Right? So he's saying, I'm writing what has already happened. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, that's a key word, and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So what we're hearing is things that have actually happened and people have seen what has happened and that's what they're talking about. Verse three, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theoph- Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So if you kind of read that, you can tell that Luke's trying to write a reliable story, historically accurate of what has happened and what things people have seen. And that word witnesses, eyewitnesses, is key here. I just want to sit on that truth, right? This truth that I believe that the gospel was written by eyewitnesses. Real people who were right there with Jesus to hear what he said, to see what he did, and then they put that into the Gospels. I don't know if you're a true crime fan. right? You listen to podcasts or documentaries about you know, murder mysteries. No, you know, you know I, I got into it maybe a few years ago with this podcast called The Serial, Serial Podcast. Not, Cereal you eat, but S-E-R-I-A-L. It was quite big, it went viral. If you haven't heard it, it's quite good, the first season at least. Um, and what I've come to realize as I watch these podcasts or documentaries is how important an eyewitness is. Just to have one person who's he, he's, he's right there at the crime scene, at the right place, at the right time, to say, I, I saw it. Right? I, I saw that person. I saw that act. Right, often that's the difference between a verdict of guilty or innocent. Between a case being closed or being remain remaining a mystery. But just to have a single eyewitness, right? If you if you have heard the serial podcast, and anyone heard this podcast? Oh, like One of us? Okay, well, you know, this might mean nothing. But in the podcast, they make a big deal about this uh, lady called Asia McLean because apparently she saw the guy who apparently uh, murdered uh, this person. And she's saying, no, he wasn't there. He wasn't where you say he was. He was in the library. And it's a big deal because if you can say that they weren't at the scene of the crime, then they're probably innocent. And what if we could have that kind of confidence with the Gospels? What if we could say that the Gospels were written by someone who was right there? Maybe not one person, but two, three, four people. Or what if there are a lot of people who are right there with Jesus? Wouldn't that be at least a bit convincing? You know, the Gospels, we believe, were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Gospels are the four first books of the New Testament. And those names, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is what the Gospels are named because tradition says they wrote those Gospels. Matthew and John were one of the 12 disciples. That means they were with Jesus all the time. They heard what he said. They saw what he did. Mark, he wasn't a disciple, but he was a traveling companion with Peter, who was a disciple. And basically he's writing down what Peter saw. And then Luke was another person who's not a disciple, but he collated a lot of these accounts. And we heard from Luke, but he's taking these accounts from eyewitnesses and he's putting it together into this concise account. Right? This is what the Bible says. These are eyewitnesses. But how do we know that these people actually wrote the Gospels? Again, maybe someone 500 years later wrote something, put the name Matthew on it and spread it around. Right, this is like in a courtroom if someone says, I was there, and then someone asks, How do we know you were there? Right, is there anyone that could say that you were there? Right, there are two people I just want to mention: Papias and Iranius, Iranius, sorry, are ancient historians who they're generally accepted like nowadays as being reliable. Right? They wrote other things and those things have been proved to be true. And both of these historians mention the gospel writers in their writings. So Papias in AD 125, he says, Mark recorded his eyewitness accounts. Mark made no mistake, he says. He made no false statements. And Matthew, he says, preserved Jesus' teachings. Irenaeus in AD 180, he says this. Here's what he wrote. Matthew published his own gospel, Mark, the disciple and interpreter of Peter himself, handed down to us in writing the substance of Peter's preaching. Luke, the follower of Paul, sat down in a book, the gospel preached by his teacher. Then John, the disciple of the Lord, who also leaned on his breast, himself produced his gospel while he was living at Ephesus in Asia. I don't know if this is convincing you at the moment, but when you think about it, it, this is basically like... You know, four people saying, you know, we are witnesses, either directly or indirectly. Two people are saying, I was right there, I saw Jesus, I touched him, I spoke to him. Two other people are saying, I'm friends with people that know him. And all of their stories are aligning in the Gospels. Right, they're not contradicting, they're aligning. And then now these two other people pop up and they say, yes, these people are real people. They actually lived and they actually wrote those letters. I don't know if you've ever thought that the Gospels are just, just fiction. We don't know who wrote them. No, we know who wrote them. They're real people. Right? And we have evidence that says that they were real people. And they were alive at the time of Jesus. I right? am not about you, but that's convincing to me. Right? It pushes me toward a greater confidence that what I find in my Bible is not just made up. These are real people right, stuck on to these stories. Let me contrast that with Alexander the Great. Right? We all believe he's a real person. None of us say oh, he's just made up. Some people made him up. You know, we have no manuscripts about Alexander the Great from eyewitnesses. Where none of them have survived. We don't have them. The only way we know about Alexander the Great is by manuscripts that people wrote like 400 years after his death. No one who was right there with him wrote a manuscript that we have. And yet we believe that he's a real person. What we say about Jesus is that we have manuscripts from people who were actually there with him. Why do we deny that he's a real person? If that convinces you, I don't know if it does, maybe you say, okay, okay, there were real people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they wrote these Gospels, but how do we know we can trust them? How do we know that these real people didn't just make something up? Right, that's the next point I want to talk about. The credibility of these authors. Lee Strobel, in his book, The Case for Christ, right, it's an interesting book if you want to read it. He puts forward eight tests. That you can take a witness through to see if what the witness is saying is true. Right? So I'm gonna quite quickly go through these eight tests and then on through these four gospel authors. And the first test is the intention test. Did these people intend to record history? Maybe that what they intended to do was write fiction. Right? How do we know that they wanted to write history? Right? And so John, when he writes about his purpose. In his gospel, he says these accounts are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John's saying, I'm writing this so you can believe in a person. He's a real person, Jesus, who's also God. Right, Luke, again, we we read this. He writes saying that the reason he's writing his gospels is so that you might Understand this narrative that has been accomplished among us. It's from eyewitnesses, right? People have talked about this that have seen Jesus. Verse 3, it's an orderly account for you that you may have certainty about these things that you've heard. Right? So the authors, they are writing for the purpose of preserving accurate history. Right. The second test is ability, Were these authors able to record it accurately? Maybe they're unable. They tried, but they're not really good at being accurate. Like Karen Armstrong said, maybe they tried, but what they ended up with was some sort of myth or legend. You know, we don't have the original documents of the Gospels right and they were the first accounts were written 35 years roughly after jesus died and so the question is you know after 35 years after jesus died maybe stuff got messed up in between or maybe their memory got weird right maybe myth entered at that point there's a few things i want to note number one the jews lived in a society of oral tradition right they were comfortable telling stories. Over and over again, right? That's how they, they, you know, talked about the Passover in the Old Testament. And often it's basically word for word. Some, you know, um, Jewish, you know, Pharisees were famous because they knew the whole Old Testament by heart, right? They could recite the whole Old Testament. That's that's unbelievable. You know, some of us, we haven't read the Old Testament, let alone memorize it word by word. Yeah, that's the kind of tradition and the culture that they lived in. And so because they're in that culture, remembering and reciting stories word by word was very comfortable for them. If you actually go to 1 Corinthians 11, which is Apostle Paul, and then Luke chapter 22, which is Luke, both accounts of the, Passover, uh, the Lord's Supper, the, the wording is very similar, But right? even though they didn't have each other's letters. So they're just telling stories of what Jesus did. And Paul over here writes down what he has heard and told. Luke over here writes down what he has heard and told. And they align very similarly. Because that's the kind of culture and tradition that they lived in, telling stories very accurately. Not only that, but the uh, disciples believed Jesus was God. They believed his teaching was of utmost importance that the letters and the things that the disciples said were going to become God's word. And so you can imagine that they're listening very carefully and speaking very accurately. The Jews, when they wrote their Old Testament and transferred it from one parchment to the other, when they'd get one single word wrong, they'd often have to write their whole, in a chunk, if not the whole scroll again. Right? That's how accurate they were with God's word. And so ability... Were they able to be accurate? I would say yes. Third, character. Are they trustworthy people? Right, if you're going to put up on stand in a courtroom a person who's you know, been accused of murder and they've actually murdered someone, you probably wouldn't believe them. Right, can we trust the character of these gospel writers? Now, the disciples aren't perfect. They had their flaws. If you read the gospels, you'd know. But there's no evidence that suggests that they weren't people of integrity, right? They are people, when we read about them, that you can trust. Not only do they have nothing to gain by lying, and we're going to find out they have everything to lose by making up these stories, but also the Jesus they preach about called them to a high level of integrity. So you can imagine if, if uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John are, are talking about Jesus and writing down about Jesus, um, who calls them to high integrity, but they're of low integrity, they will be called out pretty quickly. Right? People would say, "Uh, you're lying," but your savior says, "Don't lie." You know, there's something wrong with you guys. Right? But we hear none of that. Right? We have no evidence that they aren't trustworthy people. Number four, consistency. Do the eyewitness accounts you know, align? Are they consistent? Right? If the Gospels were very different from one another, we'd probably say, mm, I don't know if I can trust the stories. But the Gospels are extremely consistent with one another by ancient standards. Right? There are minor variations in the Gospels, but those minor variations actually should encourage us to believe in the evidence. Because the details you know, it should be different when four people stand up to give testimony. Right? Imagine you're in the courtroom and four people stand up and they say, oh, we haven't talked together, but their details are exactly the same. Right? You get suspicious. You'd be like, mm, everything you're saying, everything is perfectly aligned. Right? You would expect the main things to be the same, but maybe some details to be from a different perspective. And right? That's what we find in the Gospels. Number five, bias would the gospel writers have any reason to be biased, to tell a skewed story? And this one, you could probably argue, you know, maybe they could. They were followers of Jesus. And so maybe they skewed the story about Jesus to make him look better than he was, bigger than he was, right, as God. But as mentioned before, this would have come at a great cost for them, right? For them to skew the story and lie about Jesus and say, yes, he's God and yes, he can give life would mean that they're going to be criticized, ostracized and they're going to be put to death in gruesome ways. Would you die for a lie? I wouldn't die for a lie. But If I told a fib and then I was going to get killed for it, I'd be like, oh no, 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 that was a lie. Please don't kill me. I was joking. I made that up. But the disciples continue to preach the same message, even at the face of gruesome deaths. Number six, do they cover up things? Often when we make testimonies, we try to protect ourselves, avoid things that might embarrass us, and that ends up diluting the entire testimony. Did the disciples not only tell some of the truth and cover up other parts of it? And the answer is No. The disciples include a lot of embarrassing details that you would probably think they'd leave out, right? If you read the Gospels, the disciples, they come out like doofuses, right? Like like you're like, "Mm." the disciples are like kind of of really silly. They're very slow. They're very prideful, selfish. You'd think that they'd omit that if they only wanted to tell some of the truth. But they include all of that. Peter comes out as a hot-headed, unflattering person. James and John are selfish. They say, Jesus, we want to be at your left hand and your right hand. They include all of these embarrassing things. It doesn't seem like they left any of that out. Two more. Corroboration. Is there other evidence, maybe outside of the four Gospels, that corroborates, that affirms what they say? And the answer is yes. Archaeology, right, as they continue to unearth different uh, parts of the the world, it confirms the places that are written written about in the Bible, right, especially in the last hundred years, right? It's it's confirming that these are real places, real cities. And as they describe things in the Bible, we, we find it, right, as it was described. And we have non biblical historians who talk about jesus and the things that he's done right josephus tacitus Pliny the younger these are all historians again who have written about jesus as a real person you know in fact if we did not have the new testament let's imagine we have no copy of the new testament and we only had these external historic manuscripts right from people outside of the bible writing about jesus we'd actually know a lot about Jesus, just from that external evidence. We'd know that Jesus was a Jewish teacher, that many people believed he healed and did exorcisms, that people believed he was the Messiah, that he was rejected by the Jewish leaders, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and that his followers believed that he was alive. And the Christians multiplied we know all this stuff, not even from the Bible. We have external evidence backing that up. And number eight, adverse witnesses. Are there other eyewitnesses who contradict the gospel eyewitness accounts? You know, this is actually quite important because the gospels were written at a time, right, and the Christian message was spread at a time when other people were alive right, that had seen Jesus. It would have been at the places that they write about. Right? At one point, Paul says, you know, Jesus appeared in his resurrected form to 500 people. And you'd think, right, if he didn't appear to 500 people, right, the people of that town would be like, did you see Jesus? Did you see Jesus? Okay, no one saw Jesus. Right? They made this stuff up. Right? You would think that there would be a lot of other manuscripts that you know, refute the Christian claims. And yet we don't find that. We don't find the Christian gospel message about Jesus refuted. Again, what we find is people affirming that Jesus was real. Even the Jews who didn't believe Jesus was God, they didn't say, like in their writings, they don't say Jesus did not do miracles. They accept that. And they say he did miracles, but it was sorcery. Even they accept that Jesus was real and he did these miraculous things. So when we kind of put all that together, what we find, and I know I went through it quite quickly, is that the gospel authors, in these eight ways, they pass. There's no reason for us to doubt that these real people who wrote about Jesus should be doubted. What we find is that they intended to be historically accurate. They had the ability to write it down accurately. They were of good character. The gospels are consistent with one another. That there is no bias or cover-up. In fact, they, they, there's reason for them you know, to, lie, to, to not lie because they're going to they're um, pay a high cost for it. And all the external evidence corroborates it and there's no adverse witnesses to it. Right? All of this, right? even non-Christian historians, look at what we have right? and they can't deny that Jesus was a real person. Right? The third point the reliability of our texts. In point one, I said there are eyewitnesses of Jesus, real people right, who saw Jesus and they wrote about him. In point two, I said these real people who wrote about Jesus are credible. Right? What they wrote is worth believing. But what if what they wrote is not what we have today? Right, what if what they wrote has changed over the thousands of years so that when we open up our Bible, it's very different from the original manuscripts right, from the start? Again, because we don't have those original manuscripts. They're gone. How do we know that what we have today in our Bible is close to the original text? Right, that's the question I'm going to end with. First you know, Peter, he says that all flesh is like grass. Right, he's quoting Isaiah. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. But that's what Peter says about God's word, that it's enduring. And what we find as we look at the scriptures is that it has endured through these thousands of years. You know, when there's no original manuscript, you know, this is what people try to do to figure out what the original was like and whether it's trustworthy. They kind of reverse engineer it. And so, I don't know if this this work? Oh, this spotlight feature, okay. What they do is they start off at the end and they pick a manuscript maybe from over there and they pick another manuscript from over here and then they compare them. And what you're able to do is when you compare them, you're able to kind of figure out what the parent document is like the one that produced these ones. And if there's a lot of similarity, right, if the, the areas that are similar, you can assume that the parent's document from which they came from is similar in those areas as well. But if there's differences, you'd be like, hmm, something went wrong here. And you kind of keep tracing it back like that. You grab all these different documents, put it together. And the more documents you have across different geography and as if they're closer together, you're able to be more and more confident that what you have is similar to what you had at the start. And so if you have a lot of documents that are very similar and they're spread across the world, then you can be confident that it's close to the original. And so let me compare what we have in the Bible to some other ancient manuscripts, I noted before that all of the eyewitness accounts of Alexander the Great are lost. We don't have any of those manuscripts that people wrote down who were actually actually alive who saw Alexander. The closest biographical account we have is 400 years after his death. Similarly, Homer's Iliad, you know that kind of famous text, that was written 400 years after the actual events. It's like you um, and me writing something that happened what's, in the 1600s. I, I have no idea what happened in the 1600s, but you go to sit down to write like a, a, a historical account of the 1600s. Right? That's a long time away. The Gospels were written about 30 to 50 years after Jesus' death. That's very close. They were written by people who had seen Jesus. Right? They were written by people who could go talk to someone and say, hey, this is how I remember it. Do you remember it that way? Right? This is our gospel. Many ancient writings that have survived are copies of you know, the original document you know, tens of centuries later. Right? So let's say that you know, Alexander the Great's documents were written 400 years after you know, he died. Well, even though the original was written then, Uh, The documents we might have, right, are a long time after that, right? They're copies of copies of copies, and we have one of those ones right at the end. The Dialogues of Plato. The copies that we have, I don't know if you can see that, 1,300 years after the original was written. So we don't have the original, but what we have is a copy of a copy of a copy, 1,300 years after. And we have seven copies of it. And we would read that and say, you know, it's fairly accurate. We believe, you know, the things that are written here are true, etc. Julius Caesar, he wrote on the Gallic Wars. And the copies that we have are a thousand years after, right, the first original copy. And we have ten of them. Tacitus, right, he's one of the greatest Roman historians. He wrote about Rome. We have a thousand year, right, distance between the copies we have again, and the original manuscript. And we've got about 20. In all of these accounts, we would read these documents and say, you know, they're, they're historically accurate. You know, for the most part, we believe what we read in these manuscripts. It's not included here, but Homer's Iliad, maybe the best one out of them all. Again, a thousand-year gap between the original being written and what we have that has survived. And there's 650 copies of that one. That's pretty good. 650 copies. So how does the New Testament stand compared to these? The earliest complete Greek manuscripts we have of the New Testament is 300 years, roughly 300 years, it says 250 there, from the original text. Again, normally it's centuries, tens of centuries. We're talking very close. And we have... Right, over 5,000 copies of the New Testament alone in Greek. And if you add up all the parchments and you add up all the other languages, we get about 20,000 copies right, of some form of the New Testament. Right? It doesn't even, it's try, they tried to fit it into that little screenshot there. It just overwhelms any other ancient writing. Right? The kind of evidence we have of our New Testament. Right? It's mind-blowing, really, right, just how much evidence we have. And how confident we can be that what we read when we go to the New Testament, especially the Gospels, is close to the originals that were written. Right? I don't know about you, but like, when you first kind of look into Christianity, you just assume that, you know, I don't know where this came from. Maybe, maybe just born out of thin air. No, this is really reliable stuff. Right? If you look into the evidence and the arguments, it's quite mind-blowing. Even non-Christian historians would agree that the Bible is a historically accurate, unaltered manuscript. That Jesus was a real person. It's hard to deny that Jesus was actually a real person who lived and he did at least most of the things that are written in the Gospels. And the question is, if he's a real person, who was he? Because then he's no longer a legend, then again, he's either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he is Lord. Norman Geisler, he's a scholar, he says the New Testament has not only survived in more manuscripts than any other book from antiquity, but has survived in a purer form than any other great book, a form that is 99.5%. Sure. Now, I don't know where he got that number from. You know, I, just got to, I just got to trust him. He's, he's a scholar. He's done his research. That's a very high number. That is how confident he is. Benjamin Warfield, B.B. Warfield, as he's kind of known, uh, he says, If we compare the present state of the New Testament text with that of any other ancient writing, we must declare it to be marvelously correct. Such has been the care with which the New Testament has been copied. A care which is doubtless grown out of the true reverence for its holy words. The New Testament is unrivaled among ancient writings in the purity of its text as actually transmitted and kept in use. And so this is what I've talked about. Let me just summarize and close. The New Testament, especially the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John were written by people who are real people who lived at the time of Jesus, who saw Jesus, who heard about him, or at least heard from people who were with Jesus. And these eyewitnesses are credible. There's no reason for us to doubt that they are lying or trying to fool us. They passed those eight tests. And what they had written 2,000 years ago had been passed down in a pure form, so that what we have in our Bibles today are very, very close to what would have been written 2,000 years ago. And so again, when you open up your Bible, when you open up the Gospel, when you read about Jesus, there's no reason for you to think it's a made-up book. Right? That, would, that would take a greater faith right? than to believe that what you're reading are actual events of actual people. And so again, if he's a real person, who is Jesus to you? If he's not a legend. Is he a lunatic? Is he out of his mind? He thought he was God. He said he was God, but he's not. Or is he a liar, purposely trying to trick us into, I don't know, following him? But if he's not a lunatic, and if he's not a liar, like, if you think about it, then the only logical conclusion is that he is Lord. And maybe that is who he can be for you today. But right, If you were to believe in Him and put your trust in Him. So let's close our eyes. Let's just spend 30 seconds in prayer. And then we'll close as the praise team sings a song. I know there was a lot of information today. And not a lot of stories. It's quite heavy with a lot of facts. But this is important. Jesus said that The truth will set us free and we know the truth and as we go to his word, as we abide in his word and we know his word because we have the Bible but if we can't trust the Bible then we don't have his word and then we don't have the truth and we'll never be free. But if the accounts of Jesus as written in the New Testament especially the Gospels are accurate then we really do have a biographical account of the person of Jesus, his teachings and his works. And we're able to look into our Bible that we have on our laps, in our bags, on our shelves, on our phones. And we can get to the words of Jesus. And if we have the words of Jesus, what he says is that we have the truth that can set us free. It can give us the life that we want, the free, complete, abundant life. Christians aren't just people who believe out of blind faith. There is so much evidence to believe that Jesus walked amongst us. He taught the things that have been preserved over thousands of years. That he did amazing, miraculous things. That he died on the cross and that he rose from the dead. Right? Do you believe? You know, Hopefully today I've at least taken away one part of your doubt to push you a step clo- closer into believing in Jesus. Let's spend 30 seconds wrestling with our faith and who we say Jesus is. Do you believe in him? Would you say that He is Lord? Would you say that He is actually a real person and that He died for your sins? If not, just wrestle with the things you've heard today. Let's spend 30 seconds and we'll sing a song. Let's pray.